Can.
10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Good evening. Welcome to Cliff Burton Friends, another episode. And we are so glad to bring you the very best in women's and HBCU sports. This evening, we also we have my co-host, the one and only James Wardell. Say something to him, Jim. Hey, how you doing? <laughs> All righty. Oh, yeah. Uh, we have a great lineup tonight, and we want to get started. Got a lot to give you, a whole lot to, to give you. For our new listeners, we have a Women of the Month, and her name is Miss Lucia Harris, L-U-S-I-A-H-A-R-R-I-S. This young lady, Louisa Harris, she passed the beginning of this year in January at age 66. She was the only woman officially drafted by the NBA and the first black woman inducted into the Basketball Hall of Fame. She was a powerful center. She led Delta State University women's basketball team to three consecutive national championships in the 1970s. She was, again, later inducted into the Basketball Hall of Fame, the first black woman and the first female college player ever enshrined there. She was born in Mississippi. One of uh, women's basketball's most accomplished players. Harris was also the first woman to be officially drafted by the NBA team, the New Orleans Jazz, now known as the Utah Jazz. She averaged 25.9 points, 14.4 rebounds a game at Delta State and Cleveland, Mississippi. Her Olympic teammate, Pat Summit, who also went on to the Hall of Fame career, as the women's basketball coach at the University of Tennessee, described Lucia Harris in her book, Sum It Up, as the first truly dominant player of modern basketball. This six foot three, 185 pound, hard muscled woman was a pivot and a force in the rim, at the rim to be dealt with. She led Delta State to three national championships. We have about two more weeks that we'll discuss this tremendous basketball pioneer's life. She also has a movie out, The Queen of Basketball. You need to look it up and you need to see it. That is Miss Lucia Harris. She is our Woman of the Month. And while we're here, let's just go ahead and spill the beans. Next month, our Woman of the Month will be legendary basketball coach from the Tennessee Vols, the late Pat Head Summit. Now, those who were here last week, if I sound excited, I am. We had a tremendous interview that you could review on the podcast. Look it up. We had Dr. Harriet Kimbrough Hamilton. She was one of the 50 pioneers after Title IX in the state of Tennessee. She discussed in depth what it takes or what it has taken for women's athletics to come this far 
so far since 1972 when Title IX was inducted. She gave us part one, but she's coming back for part two in the first Monday in February. You don't want to miss it and spread the word. That's Dr. Harriet Kimbrough Hamilton. The title for part two will be the parts, the shortfalls of Title IX and how it is not served women or girls of color like it should. So we're looking forward to that, Dr. Harriet Kimbrough Hamilton. So please remember that. And please, if you didn't get a chance, read the book, Title IX, Pat Summit, 50 women, 50 pioneers, these, uh, these women that led from the state of Tennessee, and then come on back for that lecture in just about a month. Now, let's move forward. There's another legend, basketball. The basketball world lost a coaching Hall of Fame person in Miss Billy Moore. Oftentimes when you think of California basketball or UCLA, you think of the men. But Billy Moore was the first woman to take two different schools to the national championship in basketball. She took Fullerton, California, and she also took UCLA. She was just 26 when she was named the head coach of California State Fullerton of the women's basketball squad in 1969, when the women's game was only a blip on the college basketball scene. There was no Title IX yet, but she won the first CIAW, Commission on Intercollegiate Athletics for Women Championship, with a victory over Westchester State College of Pennsylvania in the finals. She also coached the first United States women's basketball team to compete in the Olympics. And that squad won the silver medal. Now let's connect the dots. The first woman to score a bucket for the United States Olympic team, you got it, Miss Lucia Harris. So two, two, two giants joining up. Also on that Olympic team in 1976, you had Nancy Lieberman, now Nancy Lieberman Klein, Ann Myers, and Pat Head Summit. Coach Billy Moore, you will be missed. Now, let's talk a little more. There's another uh, milestone that's been reached in women's college basketball. Jim, tell me a little bit about Miss Brenda Fries, and I'll go on and talk some more. Are you familiar with Brenda Fries at Maryland? Well, Maryland has consistently been at the top of the Big Ten and the ACC when they were there. So her program, although they have, I don't believe she's won a national title yet, they're consistently in the final 16, sweet 16 of the NCAA for the women. That's correct, Jim. But she did in 
three win a national championship at the University of Maryland. And uh, she passed the milestone beating Purdue just a few days ago uh, on a on a jump shot at the buzzer. And she did um, get her 600 win. So she has a, been a tremendous asset, and she definitely is a legendary coach and still coaching. She had a challenge, Jim, and uh, everybody. This past season, due to the new rules of the transfer portal, she had four or five players that transferred out at the end of the season. But right now, she took the new players, she's adjusted, and her team is moving along. They are 8-0 or 9-1. They're right around the top 15 in the country. And so uh, Brenda Fries knows how to adjust, and Brenda Fries knows how to get it done. Now, the big story, and I want people to type in the chat. We also have a couple of people as co-host speakers, uh, Marlo and Luis Hernandez. And I'm going to unmic you as well. Let's talk about Brittany Griner. Yay, yay, yay. That's all I can say. Uh, this story with Brittany Griner um, that's gone on over the last 10 months or so, and she's now home, and uh, she's now talking, and she talks about the uh, horrific experience of 294 days detainment in Russia. She says that she's still going to be a tremendous advocate to get all Americans home. And then she states she will still play in the WNBA next season. So Jim or Lewis, Marlo, or anybody have anything in the chat, type it in. But let's talk about it now. Miss Brittany Griner. Jim, I'll let you go first. Well, I think that's great news that she's going to play because I was worried that she might take a year off just to get reacclimated with just life. But, you know, her willingness to play, even when she was in uh, prison, her last prison, the guards offered her a ball and she said she didn't want a ball at the time. She's cut off all her locks. So uh, it's just great to hear that she's going to be back playing the game that she loves. And, and Jim, do you think that, or, or do you know how long they stated her treatment? I think she's at, um, I know she's in San Antonio at the Brook yeah. Army Medical Base. I believe that's it. Do you know how long she'll be there or if she's still there? I, I don't know. I think she still is there. But no idea uh, how long um, that'll take. No. Okay. And you know, we also have. Oh, go ahead, Jim. You gonna say something? I say I think it's indefinite. But she, you know, Cliff, because you, you, Doctor Butts, Doctor Burke, you, uh, you know, sometimes like that, they they run some. You know, it's been almost two weeks since she's been out. Yeah, a week and a half. Mm -hmm. And so, sometimes they have that uh, post-traumatic uh, 
yes type s- symptoms where you look okay but mm-hmm. something can trigger a memory or or something of that nature um we do have or we did have terry williams who was going to be a guest last week and we couldn't get her through technically but she is coming on as our guest the first monday of january and i've even talked to terry since the sh- last show and she always said because she played uh, professionally over there and the exact team that britney played for and she's always said that uh the prisoners would not have treated her bad and the citizens would not treat her bad she said now the guards especially at the uh prison where they moved it to was always a possibility um she was only at that prison uh, about how long a jim jim can you remember the mordovia prison i want to say six maybe six weeks two months six six weeks okay uh i i do know i I, they didn't have a bed (laughs) tall enough from for and uh so i was just wondering how much good sleep if she was getting any Mm-hmm. But she looks. Go ahead, Jim. Oh no, I'm disagreeing with you. Yeah, uh, but we're going to have to continue to, to to follow this situation closely. Uh, Brittany, Brittany Griner. We have one more story. I'm going to read on Title Nine, which Dr. Kimbrough talked about last week, Dr. Hamilton, and uh, Title Nine actually states no person in the United States shall on the basis of sex be excluded from participation in, be denied the benefits of, or be subjected to discrimination under any educational program or activity receiving federal financial assistance. Jim, when I read that, even though Title IX is always associated with women's athletics is bigger than that in fact you don't even see sports or athletics in the title nine statement so in saying that the battle of title nine through sports has indirectly opened the doors and it's opening doors for women everywhere and having said that even though it may not be an athletic event, something very historical has just happened. For the first time in Harvard University's 400-year history, they have a African-American women president of the university, President Gay. So Title IX is working in athletics, and it's having effects everywhere. And I just want to make sure that we got that fact out. We're going to go to a commercial gym, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to start talking some sports and some scores. This week, we're covering the SWAC, the SIAC, and the GCAC. Next week, we cover the MEAC, and we cover the CIAA. We'll be back in one minute. Thank you, guys.
everybody. Uh, we had a question in the chat, and I want to go over that before we move on to the swag. It says, can you repeat that about Harvard? Wanted to make sure I heard that correctly. You did. Harvard University has elected the first African-American women's president in their history and the second women to be become president in the school's history. So that is correct. Let's move on to the SWAT, women's basketball. Sunday, Alabama A&M lost to South Carolina State, 53-37. Bethune-Cookman defeats Winthrop, 67-54. TCU defeats Grambling, 56-45. Oklahoma defeats Southern, 76-50. California over Florida A&M, 88-58. So far this year in non-conference play, the women of the SWAC have struggled. Their overall records of the top five teams, out, not one with a winning record. Alcorn State, four and six. Prairie View, three and seven. Southern, three and eight. Alabama, three and eight. Mississippi Valley State, two and seven. And number six, Jackson State is women are two and seven. So Tamika Reed, uh, she's been undefeated in conference play and everybody's about to begin that conference play. So we hope that um, she's able to pick it up, Jim. We hope she's able to pick it up. Now, yeah, of course. go ahead, Jim. You know, a lot of these games that they're playing now are money games that they're playing Okay, explain for our audience or the new audience what are our uh, money games. Money. So when they come <laughs> to, and, and I have that same issue when I deal with the schools that I'm dealing with on the men's side, a lot of the records are, are bad now, but they'll get better when they play conference play. Okay, <clears throat> sounds good. We also wanted Jim to give our players <clears throat> some uh, notoriety. So the leading scorers, top five, Horton Dylan. She's averaging 17.3 points a game for FAMU. Wilson Chanel, Bethune-Cookman. She's averaging 16.9 points a game. Event Adriana from Texas Southern, 16.6 points a game. Crawford Jayla, Alabama State, and she's averaging 16.4 points a game. And rounding out the top five, Rosenthal Diana from Prairie View. She's averaging 16.3 points per game. So there it is, Jim. You have it. The women's SWAT conference for now. Let's go to the SIAC, Southern Intercollegiate Athletic Conference. Now, they have two divisions, Jim, East and the West, and all of our listeners. The East, Savannah State, four and one overall. No, eight and two overall. Clark, Atlanta, four and six overall. Albany State, four and eight overall. Fort Valley State, two and seven overall. 
Edward Waters, five and six overall. Allen, three and five. And Benedict, three and seven. And those were the ranked orders that they are right now in the Eastern Division. To the West, Tuskegee, nine and three overall. Central State, six and five overall. The Lane College Dragons, eight and two overall. Miles College, seven and two. Kentucky State, six and four. Lamone Owen, two and eight. And Spring Hill is bringing up the rear for the SIAC. Now, let's go over our overall individual leaders in the scoring. Tamaya Harris, 18.1 points a game. Nala Allen, Savannah State, 17.6 points a game. And by the way, Tamaya Harris from Miles College. Braylon Tate, Lamona on College, 17.4. Temanique Bowie is averaging 16.8 points a game, I think from Savannah State. And Kyler Simmons from Lamona on College is averaging 16 point seven points a game so again jim there you have it and uh those are the leaders in the s i a c now one more the gulf coast athletic conference this is the only conference that um it's nii let's let's make this clear for our listeners the SWAT Conference is Division One. The SIAC is Division Two. The Gulf Coast Conference is NAIA. And it has, I believe, seven or eight schools. Let's name them for you. Philander Smith women are in first place with a record of nine and two. Wiley College, second place with a record of nine and three. Russ College, five and two. They're in third place. Fisk University with Coach Crawford, five and four overall. They are in fourth place. Dillard University, record of four and eight overall. Fifth place, Southern University of New Orleans, two and five. Tougaloo, one and five. And pulling up the rear, is Oakwood University, and Oakwood University holds an overall record of two and thirteen. Now they played quite a few few games. The conference schedule opens up right after January, January eighth. I know Oakwood has a doubleheader open up against Fisk University at Fisk University's gym that uh, Sunday afternoon. So. You're right, Jim. The preseason is over or non-conference games are over. And it's time uh, for the conferences to get down to business. Jim, I do want to say this. The Wiley College women have done well. Those who don't know, Wiley College uh, women's coach, Miss Jackson, Tiffany Jackson, passed about two weeks 
before the basketball season started, she had breast cancer. And um, this former WNBA Texas standout, tremendous young lady, uh, we were all praying for that program and the young ladies who came there to play for. But maybe, Jim, it looks like they're playing for the coach. I'm not sure. But they have already had three players this year to win, to win Player of the Week honors in the GCAC for non-conference play. The most recent, December 4th, Kayla Jackson. She came off the bench and led all scorers against Centenary College for 21 points, which was one point off of her career high. She also had four rebounds and three steals. Through nine games as of December 4th, she ranked in the top 10 of the GCAC with 13.2 points per game, and she's closing in on top 10 in program history in career rebounds with 300 rebounds. So again, congratulated to her, and congratulations to the ladies of Wiley College for staying strong in the loss of their coach, Tiffany Jackson, to start the season. Jim, Jim, how familiar were you with Tiffany uh, in her career, Miss Jackson, prior to coming uh, to Wiley College to open this season? Open this season? I really first heard about Miss Jackson when we when we were doing the uh, Mark Jones and Friends show, and you were talking about her being a former WNBA player and a NBA great, and uh, just got to Wiley College and how, where she was going to do wonderful things. And I think the players are still playing for her and doing wonderful things. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm proud of them. And uh, I want to move on just a little more, just a little bit more. And, Jim, I want to talk about um, this past week's volleyball, Division One championship. Uh, we're not going to talk about D2 basketball. We'll wait till next week. But we kind of skip over volleyball season. And this past Saturday night, the Texas Longhorns defeated the Louisville Cardinals, and that Division One Finals match was in front of 16,000 people, and Texas swept them. They also have College Player of the Year um, in their program. Let's talk about volleyball, because I think a lot of young people can earn scholarships there, and they leave it money on the table. Everybody can't play basketball. What do you think about Texas women's volleyball? I think, like you said, volleyball is an underrated sport. You can get a scholarship there. You know, Detroit has had men's volleyball since the 90s. And I know your female volleyball players, a lot of them go on to play basketball, volleyball, softball. A lot of them play three sports. But volleyball is a very good sport to get a scholarship in one of my um girls down here is a volleyball player getting a scholarship to play volleyball in college i think it's very like i said it's very underrated and if you can play volleyball that's a good sport to get a scholarship in absolutely and that college player of the year for texas uh her name is logan 
Ing Eagleton, E-G-G-L-E-T-O-N. She had 16 kills in the finals of the Division One Women's Volleyball Championship. So again, congratulations, Longhorns. We're going to take us a one-minute commercial break. Remember, if you have any questions or comments, type it in the chat, and we're going to come back. And Jim is going to now take us through some of the men's SWAC, SIAC, GCAC um, athletic information. We will be back in about one minute. All right, Jim, let's see what we have going on with the men. Take us there. All right. The SWAC standings, Grambling is six and four. Bethune Cookman, four and seven. Prairie View AM, four and seven. Southern, four and eight. University of Arkansas Pine Bluff, four and nine. Alabama AM, three and seven. Texas Southern, three and eight. Alcorn State, three and eight. FAMU, two and seven. Alabama State, I had on the tip of my tongue, Arizona, is one and nine. Jackson State, one and 10. Mississippi Valley State, one and 12. Now, some of the SWAC leaders scoring Sean Doss, the 17.6 points from U Arkansas Pine Bluff. Garrett Hicks, 16.4 points per game. Alabama AM. Douglas Will, Prairie View A&M, 14.9. Terry Collins, Mississippi Valley State, 14.7. And Dewan Burns from TSU, Texas Southern, 14.8. Rebounding, Carl Nicholas, 8.1, TSU. Sir Derek Gordon, 
Grambling State, 7.6 rebounds per game. Jalen Bates, FAMU, 7.1. Jeremiah Kendall, Alcorn State, 6.5 rebounds per game. And coming in fifth is Ismail Pyatt at 6.3 rebounds per game. Assist, we have B.J. Bird from Southern, 5.6 points assist a game. Kat Kylan Milton, 4.6 assists per game from Arkansas Pine Bluff. Kerry Ewing of Jackson State, 2.6. Sean Darius Coward from Grambling State, 3.2. He's tied with uh, Messiah Thompson of Alabama A&M with also a 3 and 2. Now, in the next conference is going to be the, what is it, the CIAA or, or the SIAC? SIAC, SIAC this week. Okay, reading is fundamental. I did all of them, so I just had to make sure to get the right one. <coughs> SIAC. Okay. The pack is uh, Kentucky State at 6-1, and one, Fort Valley State at 7-5, and five, Miles at 8-3, and three, Tuskegee at nine and four. Lemoyne Owen at seven and four. Savannah State at five and four. Spring Hill, six and five. Central State, three and six. Lane, five and seven. Morehouse College, five and four. Benedict College, four and five. Edward Waters, two and five. Albany State, three and nine. Allen University one and eight, and Clark Atlanta at one and ten. Mm-hmm. Now the scoring leaders: Tana Copa from Spring Hill at twenty one point eight, Tavares Oliver twenty point eight from Edward Waters, Barrow Cabanga at Spring Hill nineteen point nine points per game, Rodney Battle at Miles with eighteen point eight. Jay Morrell from uh, Kentucky State at 18 points per game. Leading rebounders, Malachi McCoy, 10.3 from Benedict. Burrow Kabanga, again, almost a double-double man, 9.8 from Spring Hill. Jalen Andrews from Kentucky State, 8.3 points a game. Kadarius Crum from Edward Waters is tied with his teammate, Larry Kumi both at 7.7 rebounds per game. And with assists, you've got Jay Morrell, 4.6 from Kentucky State. Jesse Payne, 4.2 from Lane. Lemoyne Owen has Andrew Anderson at 3.9 assists per game. Bennett has Brendan Beetleman at 3.7 assists per game. And Fort Valley State's My Son Love, at 3.5 assists per game. Now, with the GCAC, which I know Cliff didn't mention this, but the GCAC is trying something new. It's called a pod system, where three schools will come to another school site and play three games there in three nights. I know that... Um, Fisk is having a pod, I think, soon, 
where they have three other schools come in and they play three games in three nights at the same site. Now with the men, Philander Smith is at the top at 10 and 1. Tugaloo is 10 and 0. Dillard is 8 and 1. Wiley is 5 and 6. Rust is 4 and 8. Oakwood is 2 and 8. Suno or Southern University at New Orleans is 2 and 6. And at the bottom, unfortunately, is Fisk University at one and six. Now, there was a uh, game played. Texas Southern defeated Hampton 82-77 to in the first annual Chris Paul HBCU Challenge game. This game was close throughout, and I think Texas Southern pulled away at the end. This is saying, you know, Chris Paul also, I'm going to skip around, but Chris Paul also got his degree in communications from Winston-Salem State University this weekend. Chris Paul has been a proponent and a supporter of HBCUs, especially in his home state of uh, North Carolina. He flew in from L.A. after one of his dreams. He went to Wake Forest out of high school, but he finished up the winter. Congratulations. I'm sorry, yeah. Jim. The audience was very happy about the uh, Chris Paul graduation news. <laughs> they gave a hand clap. Keep going, Jim. Oh, I have no problem with that. <laughs> now, the top-rated top five rated men's NCAA division one teams in the country are going to be as of this weekend. Purdue is at the top. UConn is second. University of Houston is third. Kansas is fourth and Arizona is fifth. All of these, well, except with the exception of Purdue are pretty much blue blood, blue blood basketball schools in division one in division two you have northwest missouri state at the top indiana university of pennsylvania nova southeastern west liberty and black hills a noted virginia union university is number 13 in the top 25 of Division II schools. The NIA, you have Arizona Christian, Thomas Moore, the College of Idaho, Grace, and Oklahoma Wesleyan are the top NIA schools. And I, I did not see a HBCU in the top 25. NBA 2023 perspectives. You'll hear a lot of these names in the top rebounders, assists, and points. And you'll see some in the um, actual swag. One guy is in all three. But you got Joe Bryant Jr., 
You got Sam Sessions. Malik Miller is in all, is in all three. Uh, Carson Christ, Cameron Christian, Carl Nicholas, and Jabari Andrews. All of these are considered prospectus. You know, unfortunately, NBA only has two rounds, so you only have 60 players being drafted every year, but a lot of players make the NBA from being a free agent. And these guys are all doing well. I, mean, I mentioned all of them in the highlights of their different conferences. Jim, let me ask about a, a game that was played um, a week ago at Jackson State, talking basketball now. But the uh, basketball coach, Mo Williams, former NBA player, had a big complaint. Jackson State was playing Mississippi, no, no, the University of Mississippi in a game. And they thought it was going to be a big turnout. And they had very poor attendance. And he made a big um, complaint to the Jackson State fans that, and, and and let's just let's just get it on out here. Deion Sanders also has com- a complaint that if if we're going to go to the next level, then we have to come out and support our schools and teams when they play. Yes. And so, I don't know if you remember that game, Jim. It was only a week ago. Did you hear about it for the basketball team with poor attendance against Mississippi State? Now, where does Mo Mo Williams is? Where is he at Alabama? He's at Jackson State. He's at Jackson State. Head coach, basketball. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, we have to get out and support our teams if we want um, one coaches to stay. And I know I'm getting into your next segment, and we want top players to come uh it's one thing to complain about the facility but it's a whole nother thing when people are not in any stands or any facility to cheer on their teams and so this is just something that i want to bring out and bring to the forefront that um we're gonna have to do a little bit better at our hbcus now i remember when you were playing we tried to always be there to cheer you guys on and you were mm-hmm. you know I, I think that if you are serious about it and I, and I know a lot of these you know this is d3 but a lot of these schools that are d1 mm-hmm. you got to come out and support your people come on because you know they probably got a mississippi state or mississippi to play there because they guaranteed a certain amount of fandom you know, you don't want to play a game like that, a big time school like that, where you have nobody in the stands. Now I know, you know, I don't know if they have football lag. I, I don't know because they were they were drawing sixty thousand in football. You would expect them to at least get two, three thousand. Mm-hmm. I'm just gonna put a modest number. I don't know how big the arena was, but. You, you expect them to draw better than they did in that game. Yeah. 
Jim, before we go to commercial break, anything on our um, HBCUs that are not in the five conferences, like A&T, Hampton, TSU, uh, or do we need, we'll get to them next week. Anything on those schools basketball-wise? We'll that'll be our third conference next week. Okay. We'll yeah. end as the third conference. All right. We'll take a one-minute music commercial break, and we'll be right back. quarter of the show jim let's talk about what everybody's talking about the celebration bowl deon sanders and uh, what's going to happen with hbu football players draft wise etc up to you just go jim well the celebration bowl thought it was it was it was a great game unfortunately or if you are a North Carolina Central fan, fortunately, North Carolina Central won 41 to 34 to claim the HBCU national title. It was a game with ebbs and flows, riffs, comebacks. Uh, Jackson State was to goal. It was. Um, third and goal when Shador Sanders hit a tight end, which appeared to have a touchdown, but he dropped the ball in the end zone. Mm -hmm. And in fourth down, they were not able to come back. Mm -hmm. You know, folks, this is not techno ball where you throw the ball and it automatically comes back and you catch it. This is real life and things happen. I understand the tight end has caught a lot of grief on social media about not catching the ball. And that's unfortunate because like I said, these were two good teams. They played hard, you know, Darius Richard, the uh, celebration bowl offensive MVP is the quarterback from North Carolina central. You know, we've all heard about Shador Sanders, but not a lot of us have heard about Darius Richard. We had 15 to 20 passes completed for 175 yards and a touchdown. And he added 97 yards and two touchdowns on the ground, including the one-yard run in overtime. And Jim, I'm going to ask this. If any of our people on the line could type in the chat if they have any questions about this game. Uh, I'm going to bring this up, though. 
how much do you think Deion Sanders uh, announced that he's going to Colorado and after the regular season championship, I think it was two weeks ago, right? Do you how much do you think that affected the team uh, getting ready for a championship team like North Carolina Central? A lot. Mm-hmm. Because not only did he announce his departure, but there was haggling back and forth with the administration on whether or not he was even going to coach the game. Mm. And then other stuff came out about, you know, promises not being kept. So I'm sure it was not an acrimonious comeback to coach that game. Mm-hmm. I think had had it been a regular game and he had not been under so much stress, might have come out different. That's take nothing away from North Carolina Central, but I think that, you know, Dion probably would have come out better off on that on that end had he not had all that controversy and haggling between the sides about that you know when i look at the situation jim he he announced after they won the swag champion championship against southern that he was going to colorado there um there really wasn't in my eyes a better time to announce that and be fair to the players because after that Saturday on that Monday, the transfer portal was opening up. So he had to announce it kind of when he did that he was leaving and deal with it for two weeks, you know, or at least the way I see it. But the other thing was his son, sons, because Shiloh and uh, Shador are both headed to Colorado and Travis Hunter. They could not put their name in the, in the transfer portal else they had been eligible for the games. Oh, wow. So, yes, and, and, you know, other players that he might consider and want to sign had to do it, but his own players could not. And I'm sure not. Should, Shador played a great game. Travis Hunter played a great game. So it didn't affect them, but I'm sure it affected, it might have affected, who knows who it affected trying to think about where you're going to play next, if you're going to stay here, if you want to, you know. It's an unfortunate consequence of, you know, having Dion moving on. That some of his players are probably left in, in some state of limbo on what they're going to do with their next move. How many other players have you heard have put their names in the transfer portal beside uh, those three you mentioned? Now, have you? I haven't heard of any, but I'm sure it's coming. You know, to you know, not to go on, but they signed T.C. Taylor as the 22nd football coach of Jackson State. He's a former Tiger great, Jackson State Tiger, player and coach of JSU. He was a coordinator at North Carolina Central before he came back to JSU as an alma mater, which he graduated from in 2005. I, you know... There is no other Dion. I don't, I don't think they could have hired anybody that could bring them to the level that Dion did in terms of promotion, in terms of promoting Jackson State. But I think hiring a Jackson State alumnus should help. One thing that was troubling to me about 
What happened down at Jackson State is the alumni did not give. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Dion talks about that. Dion uh, got a lot of deals off his name, but it wasn't because of the alumni giving. Mm. You know, you have a cash cow like that. Mm-hmm. You, well, go ahead. Go ahead, Jim. Go ahead, Jim. And if you don't do it, who will? Yeah. If you ask Walmart to donate uniforms, you're not donating your shares in alumni. I'm going to ask uh, Michael Strahan to give some money when you're not doing your share. And, you know, everybody wanted to point the finger at Dion when he left. But I think some of the fingers need to point back at the support he got from the alumni and the board of trustees. Mm-hmm. You know, I think we talked last week about the, the promises that he had anything over 30,000 in the stands, he was supposed to get a cut. You could look and see the stands were totally full. And the uh, attendance was noted at 28,000. Wait, 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 wait. So, you're saying that Dion's is saying sixty thousand people in the stadiums, but thirty thousand receipts for payment are being reported. Is that correct? Twenty-eight thousand receipts. He would get some money off of the gate if it was over thirty thousand. <laughs> so they said it was only twenty-eight thousand. But you look at the pictures of that stadium; it's full. There was money that was supposed to go to the athletic department that was moved to the general fund. You know, Dion's coach, Dion was getting 300,000. Mm-hmm. He gave 150 of that to f- complete the facilities. His coaches were only getting $30,000. Mm-hmm. His coaches at Colorado will out of 10 coaches will be getting $5 million to split. Now it's not going to go equally. I'm sure the offensive defense coordinators will probably get a million, but you're still looking at a raise of at least tenfold to go from Jackson state to Colorado. Wow. He's taking Vincent Dancy, the coach at Mississippi Valley state. Mm-hmm. And if you remember, I think it was a couple years ago, Mississippi Valley state, it was either Mississippi Valley State or Alcorn needed a trainer. And Dion was trying to help them out with that. But, you know, I think we people are giving Dion a hard time, but he did what he said he was going to do. Yeah. We have a couple of comments in the chat. Uh, number one, it says, unfortunately, you can't please everyone. <laughs> And on what, what the statements that you just stated, Jim, uh, it, it said, that's crazy. We have to do better. I don't blame Coach Prime. Bye. <laughs> you know, what do you say? What do you say? Jim, we have a few minutes left, and I just want us to pick up where we left off last week uh, with the NFL draft coming up. We had six players from HBCUs last year that made the NFL. Let's, do you have, let's talk about two. We talked about 
Mark Evans, and a few more last week. But in our top five prospects, we have one wide receiver, Shaquan Davis. Now, in some polls, he's ranked number five out of South Carolina State. Steady, reliable, and um, he can run open and, and, and catch a pass very well. First team, all MEAC, and um, he, he's projected to go around five or six. Are you familiar with this player, Jim? Shaquan Davis, South Carolina State? A little bit. Uh-huh. He had a great year this year, but, um, you know, the uh, the pros are filled with a lot of wide receivers and cornerbacks from HBCUs. And I'm hoping he can be the next one on a long line of great ones. Yeah. You know, going from John Taylor from Delaware State, John Stallworth from Alabama State. Mm -hmm. So there's a long line of receivers. If he's got the the right height and the right speed, he can do just about anything. I want to get this one in. Everybody talked about Shador Sanders and the offense at Jackson State. But this player is projected to go in the top 10, and that's the linebacker, Aubrey Miller for Jackson State. Um, he, he's just been just, I don't know how many tackles he had, but he was definitely the best player, a defensive player in the SWAC this year. And uh, I see him going in the top five, Aubrey Miller from Jackson State. What's your thoughts on him, Jim? Well, if he's any player like James Houston, who plays with the Lions now, who got his fifth sack mm-hmm. in four games, you know, if he's any player like that, you're right. He's gonna go high. Yeah, he's gonna go high because if you can, as a linebacker, if you can sack the quarterback and still cover backs and tight ends. You can have a job for a long time. And he, he was able to disrupt the uh, play a lot of times for Jackson State. Excuse me, so I'm sure he's going to do well. How, how many points a game did Jackson State's defense give up per game this year? Because they were pretty good. They were no, number one in the SWAC in offense and defense. Yeah. Okay. All righty. Well, uh, Jim, before we let you – let you take us away or take out of here. We want to wish all of our um, listeners a thank you for tuning in and uh, wish you a Merry Christmas. We'll be back next Monday evening and spread the word. And then we have a very busy schedule coming up in January. Two guests, interviews, two full shows like tonight. And then we'll do it again in February the same way. Uh, so, Jim. We'll let you finish us out. Well, I have to give two shout outs. Number one, my daughter Juliana turned 21 today. All right. I'm going to wish her happy birthday on air. And I want to give out my friends and co hosts on the Mark Jones Friends Show, which is Monday, which is Wednesdays from 9 to 11 on uh, Superstation 910 AM, WDFDF. Out of Detroit, you can find it on TuneIn Radio, you can find it on iHeartRadio, or you can find it on Facebook Live. 
please listen to that if you get a chance. And these things, we say good night. All right. We'll see everybody in about 168 hours from now. Thank you for coming.